Um, is that on? Sounds like it's on. Okay, cool. Good morning. Uh, we are excited this morning to be together. There is a few junior hires in here that went to camp. Maybe only one right here. All the rest are still sleeping. Oh, there's, all right, there's two in here. Well, this past week was it three. Where's another one? Noah's, oh, Mia's back there. Noah's over here. Awesome. We had a great week. Josh was a counselor. Timothy was, was a counselor. Adam was a counselor. I was the speaker. It was, it was a fun week. It was, Caitlin's there and Andrew. And, and they were, and Christy. So like all of them are here in the room right now. Anyway, it was a big week. I mean, it was a tiring week, but it was a really exciting week to see God move among these kids. Uh, and I am grateful that I am able to do that because we have people like Alex and Paul that can take the pulpit. Because the week before, we were in Colorado, but I got to listen to Paul's message on podcast. Uh, but it started recording right after he said something, and I don't know what he said, but it was something about me, because he's like, oh, is it recording yet? And like, that's right where it starts. So, so I've got five bucks for whoever can rat him out, whatever he said there. Um, <laughs> um, but two weeks ago, uh, Paul talked about faith and works, and, and I'm not sure I've ever heard it explain that well. And I'm not just saying that. I, I don't think I've ever heard that passage taught as well as Paul taught it. If anybody asked me about faith and works, I would probably just go, you need to listen to this podcast. It's only 35 minutes and it's dead on. Uh, so that was awesome. Then last week, Alex talked about the tongue. Um, and I was convicted because this, this past week, again, I preached eight times to a bunch of junior hires, a room full of junior high kids. And some of those kids had never heard the gospel. And they're sitting there with eyes like this the entire time. And we talked, I mean, it was intense at times. We talked about heaven and hell. We, we talked about there's only one way. Um, you're either with Jesus or you're his enemy. And it was tough. But, but Alex's sermon last week made me think, it said not many become teachers. Not many of you should become teachers because you're going to be judged a little bit more strictly than everybody else. And, and I saw that this week as I'm teaching to these kids and I'm just you know, begging God to save their souls and to convict them. And God did some great things. But we're blessed was my point with that. We're blessed to have people that can teach. And I'm excited. We have other people that um, hopefully we can get trained up and start working on so that as we go as a church, we've got people to teach uh, because we need that. It's a big deal. Let me pray, and we're going to get into James. So go ahead and turn to James while I pray, if you would. James chapter 3. Lord Jesus, you are enough for us. Um, I thank you that you gave your life for us. I thank you for salvation that is not based on works, um, salvation that is a free gift because we could never earn it. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you for the purpose that you've given us and the peace and the joy that you fill us with. We love you. We beg that you would be here with us this morning, uh, that we would feel your presence in a mighty way, that you would be honored and glorified as we sing, uh, you would be honored and glorified as we go to your word and we go to it humbly, willing to be changed by what your word says. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. So the year is uh, 25 AD. There is... Construction going on in between the Sea of Galilee uh, and, you know, other major centers. And, and there's this little town called Nazareth. And right there, Joe and Son's construction is thriving in the year 25 AD. So you've got, you've probably heard of Joseph. Uh, he married a young woman named Mary quite a few years before this. 
and they had a son. Uh, it's his, you could call it his stepson or his adopted son, Jesus, who's probably now about 25 years old. Uh, now, Joe and Son's construction, they've got Jesus, they've got James, they've got Joseph, Simon, and Jude. So here's all these boys, young men, teenagers, 20-ish, you know, working with their dad, learning to be a carpenter. Now, a carpenter, you know, you've seen the movies, it wasn't doing woodworking. A carpenter back then was a builder, and they primarily built with stone. And so Joe and Son's construction is going around, and they're building homes. They're, they're putting them up. And just imagine that scene, Jesus, a 25-year-old, here working with his dad and his brothers. What would that have been like? You know, what, what would the job site be like? Jesus probably operated as foreman some because he was the oldest. What did he do when Joseph knocked the wall down? What would he do when he went and checked on James and, and he hadn't done things quite right? Or they, they do that job for that customer and they ran out of money and they can't pay. What did they do? Or when uh, they get back at the end of the day, they're debriefing James and Jesus, you know, probably sleeping in the same room, talking about what happened that day when they were working at the synagogue. They were doing a remodel for the synagogue. Uh, and they hear all the people arguing about the drape color and all this. How did they engage with their community? I bring that up because James is the one writing this. James is the half-brother of Jesus. James grew up in the house with Jesus. What would that have been like? James saw somebody do it perfectly. I mean, Jesus was just like us in that he was tested in every way that we were, but he was perfect all the way through. Jesus did it perfectly. You know, when they got back to the room and they're talking about how bad Simon did that day, what did Jesus say about Simon? James watched somebody do it perfectly, and now he's going to tell us about wisdom. And he knows wisdom. I mean, just look at his dad. His dad, Joseph, he was chosen to be the stepfather of Jesus. Oh, man, that's, that's, a, that's a godly man that was chosen. You see in the Gospels how Joseph responded. He was a godly man, and this is where James grew up. James was not a career pastor. James was in the business world. James was in construction. James knew what he was talking about. And so here he's going to tell us about wisdom. James watched Jesus grow up. James did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah until after he died on the cross and rose from the dead. And Jesus made a special visit to James. He said, here I am. And James was like, okay, <laughs> that's why you're so perfect. Now, he finally got it. But then James became the leader of the Jerusalem church. And there's something here as we read James. So this book, if you're in here and you're not a believer, what you're seeing here as we talk, you're seeing a, a family meeting of Christians. James is not writing to the non-believer. James is writing to believers and many that aren't doing it right. So if you're in here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you are getting kind of an inside look. It's great because you're getting to see what happens inside the family when some aren't doing it quite right. And James if I can say this, he appears to be a little bit ticked off as he's writing this. And rightly so. Think about it. His brother, Jesus, suffered and died for the sins of the world. He was crucified. He was beaten. He had a crown of thorns put on his head, and he finally died. This is James's brother. You know, like, I mean, we think about this, and we can feel it, but imagine if that was your brother that went through that, and you saw him go through that, and then realized that was for the sin of all humanity. Now, Jesus has risen from the dead, ascended. The Holy Spirit has been given to all who believe, and now they're supposed to be living differently. We are called Christians. We, they weren't called that right away. They were called Christians kind of as a slander. Oh, you're Christians. You're like Christ. 
that's a great thing. We are supposed to be like Christ. The Christian, the follower of Jesus, follows and becomes like Jesus. And so we, as we read through Scripture, we see we are God's representatives on this earth. That as people get to know us, they should get to know what God is like. They should get to know what Jesus is like. And so here's a bunch of Christians who, they were in Jerusalem, but then a persecution broke out because somebody was murdered for their faith, and they all fled. And so only left were the disciples and some of the leaders in Jerusalem. Everybody else is spread out. And James is hearing back, here's what people are doing. Here's what these Christians are doing where they live. And I think James gets a little ticked off because he's like, my brother didn't die for that. And you guys, you better either step up or stop claiming to be Christians. Stop claiming to be a Jesus follower if you're not going to live it. And we've seen that throughout the book as he says, do you think you're religious? Well, let's talk about that. Are you living it out? You think you're religious? Last week, the tongue. What comes out of your mouth? Because the tongue is attached to the heart. So whatever's in your heart is coming out. And this week is another punch in the gut. So if you came to feel good, I'm sorry. <laughs> we probably won't feel good, but sometimes that's really, really good. This is one of the most loving books of the Bible, one of the most loving passages we could look at because it gets to the heart. So we're going to be in James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. And he's going to say this. He starts, who is wise and understanding among you? He starts out with this question. Now, we're going to get a question. We're going to get an exhortation about wisdom. Do you think you're wise? Here's what wisdom is like. And then he's going to go, worldly wisdom looks like this. Godly wisdom looks like this. And he's going to give us a list and explain it. But he begins with this question. Who among you is wise? Great question. He asked another question earlier. Who among you thinks he's religious? He's really putting it out there because there's people in these churches, just like in any church in any place, that are putting themselves up as, I should be a leader, you should follow me, I should be a teacher, I'm wise, follow me. And so, so James is kind of like, who, who, who among you is wise? Making them look around, making them look in the mirror for sure, but also look in the church because the church needs leaders, the church needs teachers. And so this is a really good question even for us to ask, you know, we could look around right now, and it's worth it. Look around. Who is wise among us? Because those who understand godly wisdom, well, you now actually have a responsibility, and it's a great one. Well, let's go back to last week. It's a responsibility to teach and to lead. It's difficult. It's scary. But who is wise among us? And he's trying to call out some of those who say they're wise, but they're not. And he says in verse 13, who is wise where are we? Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So he starts it out. Who, who's wise? Who thinks they're wise? It'll be proven by how you walk. James is pretty consistent in this book, isn't he? <laughs> you, you think you're wise? Show it. You think you have faith? It'll work out in how you behave. How a person behaves shows the wisdom they choose to live by. And he's going to carry this theme through. Really, we all live by some kind of wisdom, whether it's God's wisdom or our own or worldly wisdom. Everybody offers. So he asks, wisdom. Do you have wisdom? Now, what is wisdom? Wisdom is this. If you're a note taker, I think this is in your notes. Godly knowledge practically applied to life. That's wisdom. Godly knowledge practically applied to life. It's a skill to live by. So, you see, to have wisdom, you do need knowledge. 
We can't remain ignorant and be wise. We can't not know what the Bible says, but be wise. But wisdom isn't just knowledge. Wisdom is knowledge applied, a skill to live by. As you read in, in the Old Testament and you see the instructions given to build the temple and to build the ark and these things, a lot of times it, it says, choose, I, I've chosen so-and-so who is wise in the working of gold or so-and-so who is wise in the working of wood, meaning they had a skill to, to make wood do what, what it should do. Here we're talking about wisdom. It is a skill to live a godly life. A skill, it's, it's played out in action. That's what wisdom is. And so he gives this, this test. Do you think you're wise? It should show up in how you live. Good deeds, faith and works. Right here, I really like this word. It says, by his good, my translation, conduct, or others say good deeds. That word is very literally conversation. If it was, if it was translated literally from the Greek, it's it's conversation, meaning your life is a conversation. Your life communicates something, is what he's saying. What is your life communicating? Because you can say this and then live this, and what you're communicating by your life is maybe something opposite from what you're communicating with your mouth. So let your life be a good conversation. And he's saying this because as Christians, indwelled by the Holy Spirit, living for Jesus, we are his representatives and so our life is a conversation, not just Sunday at church, not just at small group, but when we go to work, when we go to school, our life is a conversation about what we really believe and if we really have faith or not. Kids, those of you that go to school, you junior hires that maybe just went to camp, do you realize that when you go into these schools, which are horrible places uh, many times, but these places where they're trying to convince you to walk the way the world walks and you claim to be a Christian, your life is a conversation. And so people hear, oh, there's a Christian, let's watch. I think they're going to be just like the rest of us. And when you live out your good conduct differently, now these other kids start to go, maybe, there's some, maybe there is something different. Maybe there is something real about that. And it's the same, by the way, at work. Is work really all that different than school? <laughs> a lot of times it's not. The office is a lot similar. There's a lot of similarities to school. So he says, let your good deeds show that you have wisdom. Now, there's different kinds of wisdom. The Greeks in that day, they, they uh, really worshipped philosophy, the love of wisdom. And so what can man come up with? But now, these days, you know, there's philosophy, I guess. Uh, but really, our wisdom now is, is much more, in this world, in this country at least, it's whatever makes you happy. You know, it's, it's how, how can you get the American dream? You know, how can you make more money? How can you get more stuff? That's the wisdom we're living in now. You get to choose what's right for you, relativism. And James here, he moves into verse 14, and he's going to say basically this. If you're claiming to be a Jesus follower, but you're living like the world, you're a liar. James calls the Jesus follower living by worldly wisdom a liar. Look at verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. What he's saying is if your life is made up of, of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, it's about you. You want certain things. You're ambitious for selfish things for you, and then you're bitter that other people have what, what you should have. If that's you, that's not in line with the life of Jesus. And so if you're claiming to be a Christian and this is you, he says, you're lying. You're lying. I mean, he's really right in the face. You know, either stop it 
You know, stop claiming to be a Christian or start actually living it. You know, and maybe you've seen this or felt this. I know I sure did in high school. Kids that would act one way, you know, at, at church or at youth group, and then at school they would act this way. And there's times I want to go, stop claiming to be a Christian because everybody looks at you and that's what they think a Christian is supposed to be. And you are taking Jesus who should be up here and you're putting him down here. She so says, living by worldly wisdom and being a Christian, don't be a liar. You're being a liar. But here's what worldly wisdom comes out to be. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. If we can sum it all up, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. It, I, this sermon could all be around what are you ambitious about? We all have ambition, desires, but what are your desires for? Think about that. Is it for self? Is it for money? Is it for stuff? Is it for toys? Is it, is it for power? Is it for influence? Again, sometimes influence can be a, a good thing if it's for the kingdom, but what are you ambitious for? Selfish ambition is, is speaking of a self-seeking attitude bent on gaining advantage and prestige for oneself or one's group. You see this all the time in the church. In fact, as I was thinking this, looking at, at bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, there's really two, two areas of, I guess, society where I would say this comes out the most. First is politics. I mean, just think about it. The, the way this group slanders this group and this group makes up lies about this group and my whole thing is just to make that person look horrible. You've got this ambition to be whatever it is, to be in office, and it's, there's just this clashing. Selfish ambition. The other place is the church. You know, as I've been reading and studying to go through the book of James, you know, there's people that have written about this book, and I've heard several times from de several different sources of people who have been in the corporate world, been in the business world for a long time, and then they enter ministry and they enter the church, and they're like, man, I never experienced the selfishness, the slander, and just the corruption in the business world that I did in the church. And that's sad, but it's true. There's something about the church that we can get in here and get about self. He says, if you think you're wise, check it. Do you have selfish ambition? Envy for others? You know, why? Why is it those two things, selfish ambition and vain I was going to say vain conceit, but selfish ambition and bitter envy. Because I think the true Jesus follower that gets it, when the Holy Spirit gets in you, you start to love what he loves. You start to want what he wants. Not perfectly, by the way. Not perfectly by any means. But what you want most of all is his glory. What you want most of all is others to experience joy in life in him, rather than being all about self. Uh, you know, so sometimes pastors have these roundtable discussions, conversations, or there's conferences for pastors. And I was at one of these, and it was a, a pastor really just revealed his heart without even knowing it. He was a pastor of a very traditional church, and there's nothing wrong with traditional churches. He's, he was a pastor of a very traditional church, and there's a church down the street that was, you know, one of those more modern kind of big box warehouse, you know, four times the size of his church. And he's like, you know what people really want nowadays? They really want you know, the traditional stuff. They don't really want that warehouse thing anymore. That's a fad. And here he's, he's going, I'm jealous of the one down the street because they're three or four times as big as me, and that's really not good for people. He showed us, so I'm just saying, even within the church, we can have this selfish ambition that's not of God. Wherever that is, it is not of 
God. Again, I think this can come really the categories of all sin, fame, fortune, power, pleasure. Are those the things we're seeking after? Fame, fortune, power, and pleasure. And then he describes worldly wisdom in verse 15 in three ways, going from bad to worse. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Wow. So the wisdom that is not of God, the wisdom that is about self-promotion, is first earthly. That's man-centered. It's finite. It's the same as everybody else pursuing their own thing. It's earthly. But then it's unspiritual. That means sensual. It is motivated out of an unregenerate heart. Unspiritual. That one is starting, you know, James really flirts on the line of calling people not believers. He's writing to believers. He's writing to Christians. But over and over, he gets to this point where, are you really a believer or not? And this is one of those spots where he really, I think he wants us to question it. Because if we are selfishly ambitious, if we just want money, if we just want power, if we just want influence, all this, just for me, he's like, that's unspiritual, meaning that's not Jesus in you, and you're a Christian, it should be Jesus, that's not him. So you better take a look in the mirror and go, are you really following Jesus? And then he gets even worse. He says it's demonic. He claims it's demonic. Wow. Claiming to be a Christian and living like everybody else is exactly what Satan wants for the church. Think about it. You see a church, a bunch of Christians living for self, you know, battling with each other. You have all this slander going on within the church. James is like, hands off. I'm just going to let that keep going. That's awesome because that's not leading to Christ-likeness at all. And the world walks in and goes, oh, this is what it's like to be a Christian? I don't want Jesus. So he calls it demonic. I told you James has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder for Christians not living like Christians. This is such a loving topic. <laughs> no, think about it. I mean, I know at least when I'm studying this, I feel a slap in the face. Listening to, to Alex teach last week, it's a little bit of punch in the gut. Like, oh, I have so far to go. <laughs> but it's so loving. If somebody was riding a bike down a hill, and you're over here and you see there's a cliff right through the bushes, but they can't see it, and they're hauling, what would be the loving thing to do? Run and put a stick in their spokes. <laughs> Tackle them off their bike, wouldn't it? You'd be saving their life. You'd probably hurt them in the process. But James here is doing just that. He's tackling us off, off our bikes. He's saying, let's step back a little bit and look. Do we belong to Jesus? And if we do, we need to be living it out. What wisdom are we living by? And here's the result. Worldly wisdom, which has a source in bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. He says it's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. And he says, here's what that results in, verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Some might say every evil practice. There's disorder. That word is like chaos. Anarchy, uprising, that's the word disorder. And every vile practice, evil. You know, I think we can see this oftentimes in the church, but a lot of times this works out in the home. Husband and wife against each other. Husband and wife 
fighting with each other, kids disobeying parents. It works out there. I mean, just think about putting four or five people in the same house that all just want what they want. That can get very difficult. I mean, this past week, there were how many junior high girls in one room? 16? 14 junior high girls in one room? Uh, I didn't go in there. I don't know what happened. But, but that can be one of those scenes. You get 14 junior high girls all living for self. There was probably some clashing going on in there. That's what happens when we're all about self. And, and so here he's saying disorder and every vile practice. This is helpful because if in your life, if in your home, if in your church you see disorder, it's time to step back and go, this isn't of God. You know, and I, this, again, we go back to church life. This happens so often in churches where there's slander and division and going against each other. And this thing, you know, they think they're right. So they're trying to get everybody on their side. They think they're right. This happens all the time. The wise person steps back and goes, this is not of God at all. Because God is about peace, not about self. So now he goes to the good side. How do we recognize godly wisdom? Verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. You want to hang out with the person that has all that? I sure do. (laughs) You want to be at a church that's full of people living that out? I sure do. Does that list look like any other list in Scripture? The fruit of the Spirit found in Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the fruits of the Spirit, which are the result of a heart belonging to Jesus. That's what he's talking about in Galatians. That if you are walking by the Spirit, if you are walking holding tightly, abiding in Jesus, this is what's going to come out. Here's the same list expressed a little bit differently. If you're walking with Jesus, if you're letting him live in and through you, this is what's going to come out. Godly wisdom. It's first pure. Now that's not talking about sexual purity. Pure. That's talking about motives. Sincere motives. He's going to talk about sincere, but pure is, is pure in motives and attitude. You see how that's the opposite of selfish ambition. You're pure. You're about God's glory. You're about God's mission, boldly following him in his mission, but not about self. So it's pure. It's peace-loving. That's interesting. Peaceable. Seeking unity. Not competitive. As I was reading through word studies, that one, it's not competitive. How, how often are we competing, even in our families, husbands with wives, we're competing for things. Godly wisdom is not competitive. It's gentle or considerate. I really like that word gentle. That, that word gentle means strength under control. It's the word used for a horse that's been broken. Yeah, and then with just a little bit, as Alex was talking about last week, just a little bit in the horse's mouth and it can be moved. You know, you can see a three-year-old girl on a big thousand-pound horse and move it around like this when it's been broken well. That's gentle, strength under control or considerate. It's not about self. It's not about insisting on one's own rights. That's a big deal. Godly wisdom does not insist on one's own rights. As Americans... We are really all about our rights, aren't we? 
<laughs> I deserve this. I deserve that. I need a good cell phone. I insist on my rights. This week at camp, there was a little battle between two boys. You know, I was sitting at the table with them, and all of a sudden, beans go flying everywhere. I'm like, what, what just happened? <laughs> like, well, he did this. Well, he did that. I'm like, well, pick up all, you know, pick this all up. Clean up the mess. And then the one's like, well, what am I supposed to do when somebody starts it? I'm like, are you kidding me? What do you mean? What are you supposed to, am I supposed to just take it? Yeah, you are. And it was a real good opportunity to go, let's talk about Jesus real quick. You, you're a Jesus follower, right? You believe in Jesus. Okay, what did Jesus do when he was beaten? What did Jesus do when the crown of thorns was put on his head? I said, what could he have done? He could have call, called down the angels. <laughs> he could have smote them all, but he, he silently took it. So I said, yeah, you take it. You don't insist on your rights. That's godly wisdom. That's Jesus in us. When we can take it and not get our rights. Oh, that's a big sign of godly wisdom. Full of mercy. Oh, I, I skipped one. Submissive. Some of you say submissive or open to reason. That one's a big one. I love this one because this is teachable. Godly wisdom is teachable, ready to be convinced. So, so if you have this certain belief or whatever and you stand firmly on it, are you willing to be convinced primarily through Scripture that you're wrong? Are you okay hearing you're wrong and maybe adjusting? That's godly wisdom, knowing we're not there yet. If you think you've arrived... That's not godly wisdom. Godly wisdom knows we've got some, some way to go. Uh, I heard a story about a, a very seasoned Christian, old Christian, and there was a debate in their church about a certain passage of Scripture. Uh, and they were looking at it, and this side was saying, well, you know, as we look at the context, it really means this. And this other guy goes, well, I decided 30 years ago to read it this way. They're like, well, but that's not right. He's like, but he couldn't admit that it was the wrong way because he, that means he'd been wrong for decades. That is not godly wisdom. That is not teachable, willing to be convinced, open to reason. And then the next one, full of mercy and good fruit. It means you're ready to help those in need. Godly wisdom is ready to help those in need. Again, faith and works. If we truly believe, if we truly have Jesus, then we are ready to help those in need. Impartial. No favoritism, no discrimination. James is kind of, all the things he's already talked about, he's bringing them back. We already talked about this. Impartial. And then sincere. That means without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy. Do you know the main reason that kids that grow up in church leave? Studies show, here's the main reason. Parents at home that are faking it. Did you know that? Parents, this should feel really heavy on you. The main reason kids walk away is because they go to church every week, growing up. They see their parents do the church thing. But then at home, they see their parents fighting, cussing, drinking heavily. They, they see their parents, you know, vying for, for money, for stuff. You know, buying all this good stuff, but not really giving any. Not taking care of the poor. They watch this, and then they grow up and they leave, and they're like, I don't think that's true. My parents claimed to believe it, and it made no difference in their life. Godly wisdom is sincere. Again, this is so loving because he's saying, guys, if you're faking it, stop faking it. It might be a little scary, but you need to get on your knees and go to Jesus. Because again, like the fruit of the Spirit, it's him in and through us. If, if we get from this, oh, I feel really bad. I need to go work harder. That's the, wrong. <laughs> Don't go work harder. 
It means go, bow the knee to Jesus, submit to him. And then last, it's peaceful. Verse 18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Godly wisdom produces character qualities beginning with purity and concluding with peace. This is Christ-likeness. This is, again, the opposite of selfish ambition. Peace, unity. What did Jesus say? They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. You know, in James, we see a lot of echoes of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew 5 and 6. And there, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, this isn't a false peace. You know, there can be a false harmony. You see that in churches. You see that in families where you pretend things are good, but they're not. He's not talking about that. He's talking about genuine, authentic unity where we're boldly going on mission together, united. And things come up because guess what? We're human. And so the peace, the person pursuing peace seeks to reconcile as much as possible. Blessed are the peacemakers. And what does that create? I love this, verse 18. A harvest of righteousness. Again, the way he uses righteousness is godly living, Christ-likeness. Again, it's wisdom. It's faith carried out into life. He says, what's going to happen? If you've got a bunch of people living by godly wisdom, here's what you're going to have. You're going to have a bunch of people that live like Jesus. That's a great group to be part of. A bunch of righteous people. I'm not talking self-righteous. I'm talking Jesus is living in and through them. Peace. So here, here's our application. Again, this gets somewhat intense. But what are you ambitious for? Are you ambitious for yourself? Or are you ambitious for what God wants to do? Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and you'll get all the other things you need. He'll provide. So are we seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness? Or is Jesus second to something else? What are we ambitious for? We're going we're gonna to be taking the Lord's Supper in a few minutes. But here's, here's how we can respond. Think about and prayerfully consider, what are you selfishly ambitious for? And we've all got them. I know I do. That was kind of my application studying this. Where are my selfish ambition? And there's things popped up that I had to address. But what are you ambitious for that's not of God? Money? Stuff? Recognition? Popularity? Power? Influence? Pleasure? As we take the Lord's Supper, the way we do it here is, is uh, the music will be going and we come down this aisle or this aisle and you grab the bread and the cup. Um, you're free. We're going to have people available to pray in the back. You can pray with somebody. You can pray with those you came with. Uh, you can take the bread and the cup over here in the corner. You can get back to your seat, pray, and then take it. That's all up to you. This is your time to respond to him. But here's the other thing we can do. If you realize there's some selfish ambition or envy, is there somebody you're jealous yeah, I wish I had what they had. Give that away. Give that to God. The way you can do that is that table and that table over here. There are little pieces of paper. Just write it down. What is it? Money. Kids, maybe it's popularity. Write down whatever it is, roll it up, and stick it in that prayer wall. It's you symbolically giving that to Jesus, saying, I want you to be first. Here's the things getting in the way, and I'm giving that back to you. 
going to read from 1 Corinthians as we move into the Lord's Supper. Paul wrote this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We, we take the bread, we take the cup, remembering what Jesus did. We remember. We never move past the cross, by the way. You never mature past the cross. We're always looking back to what Jesus did for us. We need his grace. It says, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the, the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're not going to be doing the Lord's Supper in heaven. We're doing it until he comes. We're remembering what he did, and we're looking forward to him coming back, because he's coming back. But then he says this in verse 27. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. The Lord's table is very heavy. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So that's what we get to do. We get to examine ourselves. Is there any unconfessed sin in your life? Is there any sin that you're just letting go? You know, I want Jesus, but I also want this. You need to give that to him. In context here, uh, there's a lot of disunity going on. And Paul is saying, if you have disunity, if you've got something against another believer, are they against you? Don't take the Lord's Supper. Go reconcile. Go deal with that. And then come take the Lord's Supper. So as we begin, take a few minutes. Examine your heart. Let the Holy Spirit reveal to you any selfish ambition that's not of Him. And let's give that to Him and let Him change us. Lord Jesus, thank you for leading your brother to write this. Thank you for this very loving slap in the face. God, we, we all have certain things we want that aren't of you. And I ask for forgiveness. Lord Jesus, I ask for forgiveness for those things in my heart that are not of you. Those things where, where sometimes I get envious of somebody else. I wish I had what they had. I'm sorry. Or, or the ambitions, the things that I want to be that are for self, not of you. I'm sorry. I confess those to you. And Holy Spirit, I beg that you change my heart <laughs> to be more like Jesus. I want to love what you love. And I pray for us in the room that you would draw out of us those things in our heart that are not of you, that you would show it to us and that you would take it. Make us like you for your glory, but it's also for our good. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you that you rose from the dead. Thank you that every prophecy you made has come true. Thank you that we can trust what you say. And there's a couple that are still yet to come true, and one of those is you're coming back. Jesus, come back soon. We can't wait. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.